Picture this. Once upon a time, in like 1978, which I'm pretty sure is 40 years ago, I was sitting where you're sitting. But I had to wear a plaid skirt, a blue jacket, blazer, these things, pantyhose, heels. It's like torture, right? You could tell who the freshmen were. The freshmen came in with new white blouses. And then juniors, their, their blouses were a little grayer. By the time people got to be seniors, they're like really tired, shabby, like white blouses. It's like freshmen were like sparkly and really trying to be all. By the time those uh, seniors came around going to mealtimes back in those days, their tie, the boys, the ties had like ketchup, mustard, and relish on their tie. And they were like tried to care, but they sort of didn't care. It was pretty funny. There was like you could see the descent. Like the Holy Spirit in their lives ascended and their, their care about how pleated their skirt was or how ironed everything. In fact, by the time you got to be a second-year student, boys figured out that you could put the, you put the sweater over the dress shirt, you never had to iron it. They were like, genius, just stick a sweater on over the top of that shirt, and you're, you're, you're ready to go. So I wasn't from a Christian family. So I came here, and um, I would say I didn't know the dance steps. I think there's dance steps to being a Christian. Maybe less now, it's not quite as pronounced that you have to have the right clothes on and the right... Uh, just the right vibe. I feel like kids who came from Christian families. Here's a, here's a secret thing that I thought of recently. If you hear a person who hasn't grown up in a Christian family, they like to use the phrase, good luck. But if you have a family where there's multiple generations of ministry, they say, God bless you. But if you say, you know, oh, I got lucky, you're thinking, oh, well, that, it's, just, it's just a little... Little little telling thing about the fact that they probably didn't grow up with super biblical parents who corrected them saying, we're not believing in luck, we're blessed people. So that's just like my little, the funny thing you think of when you hear when the difference between being part of Christian culture and being part of culture that really isn't, uh, just show, I just showed up. I just showed up and I didn't, uh, wasn't from a Christian family and my family was pretty unstable. So I was here uh, trying to figure it out. In fact, when I was a student here, my parents split up in my first year, and they sold the house we had lived in. And um, that made me a little bit homeless. So I figured out if I stayed here in the summer as a summer crew person, I could paint and spackle and sand clothes, sand walls, and Brother David Spencer would bring us used clothing from, was it pennies or something? We would have all these, we would root through these skirts and random makeup boxes, and you used to bring us all goodies. We were all, like, poorer than dirt, and we were, and he would come with stuff he found. Where did you buy, find those things that you brought to us, Brother David? Well, there was, there was stuff you brought us, clothes and makeup. The girls who lived in the dorm in the summers, and you would find boxes of stuff you would bring to us, and that was a blessing to us. You don't remember? Well, that we were lived for Brother David's boxes. Brother David's bringing boxes. Quick, go to the dining room, and so he would bring us stuff, and, uh, and I worked in the kitchen during the school year, and on, in the summers, it was like you had to serve people at these conferences, and I vacuumed this room endlessly. I vacuumed this room. And uh, we, we, the, the dorms, you'd have to go through the dorms after people went home, and they just needed to be firebombed. You boys, God bless you. But it was like the, the smell was bad. The smell was like, wow, this is feet and a lot of perspiration and some old food, and we would like have to clean out all these rooms go through them, take the curtains down, disinfect, deodorize for the next group of people who were coming in the following year. And uh, then there was weeding. We did weeding. And then we did the more back. You know, you have to go back to the dining room to serve meals at the camp meeting was happening back in those days. 
So we did that, and uh, I did that for three years. I lived here year-round, and uh, that was a wild time. I, uh, yep, I was a summer crew person, and I, uh, they even told me after I graduated, they hired me to work in the admissions office. I worked in the admissions office from May after graduation, and it took till about November when everyone figured out she's not really cut out for clerical work. She's not good at the details. And how many know if you're, if you're copying people's transcripts with the grades of what they're, you have to be in the, it's important that you get it straight. So I was lovingly and politely fired from that job because I really wasn't, I just wasn't, I was caffeinated. I, just, I, I drank a lot of coffee, I stayed up too late, and I might have slept in class. So, so I'm here to tell you that, that I, I just feel like people are tempted to believe that their season of coming into adulthood is harder than it was for previous generations. But I don't necessarily think that's true. You know, all of this stems from last uh, two summers ago, there was a kid at my meeting at my house, and we're sitting, like, we, we have dinner on the deck in the summertime, but in the winter, it's in the house, okay? So I'm, we're not on the deck in the winter. We don't shovel snow and stand out there in the snow. No, we're inside the house. So this kid says to me, he says to me, he's maybe probably 19, he says, you know, I think it's harder for us coming up now than it was for you guys back in the day. And I'm thinking, really? He's like, yeah, it's way harder for us. It's harder for us to get jobs, harder for us to get houses, harder for us to get education. And he says, yeah, it was easier back when you guys were coming up. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I, and I had to think about that. I'm like, maybe he knows something I don't know. And, and then I thought about, well, when I was in high school, the Vietnam War was happening. That wasn't a picnic. And then Nixon got impeached. That was pretty earth-shaking. Then they voted in Jimmy Carter. We thought, oh, this is a nice Baptist man. He's going to change the country. It's going to be all great. Well, his crooked tie, he had, on the debates, he had his tie was crooked. And people said, oh, he looks so folksy with his crooked teeth. We're voting for him. He's a Christian. Well, he rationed gas at the tank. When I tried to come back from a weekend in Buffalo where I lived, I, we, and Sunday night, the guy I was carpooling back with went to the gas station. Guess what? They weren't, there was no gas to be had. In the 70s, they rationed gasoline. And it was like, you know, you hear these, these dystopian Katniss and, and Hunger Games kind of things. It sort of seemed like that back then. We're like, what is going on? The world is ending. And then they, we all voted. My first vote, I voted for President Reagan, and I was happy about it. And do you know, he got shot. Hinckley shot him while he was in office. We're like, what is going on? So, I, and then I washed up here without two cents to rub together. And I just want you to know that God is faithful. And I feel like in every generation, the enemy of our souls is tempted to, to persuade you that it's harder for you than it was for previous generations. And you know how I know the real truth of that? I know the real truth of that because, because when I went to Scripture, I saw that it said in Genesis 24 that Eleazar was commissioned by Abraham to go find a bride for Isaac. Now that is a crazy quest. So if you have the Scripture, could we put that up there, please? It can, I'm going to read this with you. Read it with me, please. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had, who had in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. That's a little weird. Then I may make you swear by the Lord God of heaven, the God of earth, that will, you will not take away from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But you will go to my country 
and to my kindred and take away from my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said, No, if it doesn't work out, I, let, I release you from the care of it. But you have to go and try. So it just occurred to me that, that Eleazar got given like camels full of merchandise, merch. He had lots of merch, and he took it, and he had to go on this quest. And I feel like there's more than one kind of bravery. Like there's this kind of bravery in a one-off where you go up to that man and see if he's hurt and pray for him in public. Okay, I'll do it. You dare me? I dare you. Go pray for that guy. He needs prayer. Okay. And that's a certain kind of bravery. Certain kind of bravery where you have to be brave enough to do, you know, Deborah went into battle with Barak. That's brave. And Esther approached the king, and that was brave. But there's another kind of bravery that's like, I am valiantly believing for God's best for a season of my life when I don't really understand what the future holds. It's almost like there's a faithfulness component. Bravery with faithfulness that God is in my quest. And I just feel like it's such common cultural ripoff that, that we are unloved, we're orphaned, and it's, it may or may not work out for you. And you should sing a sad song, Adele song, and have a good cry. And then you can, then that's probably, you could go drink a lot of coffee and, and lament and be depressed. So I don't think that's what God has for you. So if Eleazar had to go, it says his name in Genesis 15, when God speaks to Abraham, and, and Abraham says, do I have to give my inheritance to my servant, Eleazar? And God says, no, I have a different plan for you. That's where I got this guy's name from. It's not in 24, it's in 15. So, so it, there was no, he had to go back to Mesopotamia to find a bride for Isaac. There was no Christian mingle back in those, those days. There was no eHarmony. There was no Match.com. There weren't even cell phones. He's like, go find a nice girl for my son. Maybe your parents sent you here so that you could find a nice spouse. Maybe you were like, hmm, my parents met. I know, I have friends, and uh, my daughter, my, not my, my girlfriend sent her daughter here, and she said, my daughter's interested in a boy, and he's from Maryland. I said, oh, is he an Eppard? She's like, how did you know that? I said, because there's only one Elam family from Maryland, and that's Gwen and Martin. And, and she said, her name, the little girl's name was Kendra. She was 19. She goes, I think that's who it is. I said, they got a kid named Ian. She goes, how did you know that? I said, because on Facebook, Gwen and Martin are my friends. There's only one Elamite family from Maryland. It's got to be them. And then we went to their wedding uh, nine months, a year later, and it's like, that's an Elam thing, right? It's, it's pathetic, but true. So the thing is that, that, that people of faith want the best for their, their kids. But maybe, like me, you don't have parents that were backing you. My parents weren't against me. They just had their own problems. I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a story that I haven't told very many people at all. One time I was a student, and it was before cell phones, so you had one phone booth on each floor, and there was always an engaged girl who monopolized the phone, crying into the phone about lace by the yard and what flowers weren't working out, and I can't believe I really wanted that place, and try again, Mom. I'm like, would you get off the phone? I think my sister had a baby two weeks ago, and I, can't, I don't know because you're on the phone all the time. True, this is, I'm not making this up. So I'm in my dorm room, and someone comes up the stairs, and she said, you have visitors. And she had with her my dad and my brother. They had driven here from the racetrack where they had been drinking, and they came to bring me. They said, we had a good day at the track. We came to bring you some of that money. And I'm thinking, I don't, I don't even know how I feel now. I, want, I like money. 
But the notion that I didn't necessarily, my, you know, he wasn't a pastor in another city. He's a guy who just came from the track. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, I'm only 19 at the time, so I was really, that wasn't my best day. How many know that wasn't my best day? I'm like, so let's get you out of the dorm, my friends, and let's get you outside where I, you won't say anything that people can hear. And I just, those were the kinds of things that were going on in my life. So if you have parents that sent you here because they love you and they want you to grow in your faith, that's great. But I'm here to tell you that even if God himself is the one who sponsored you coming here, he's got a plan. And, and it doesn't have to be only the kids who won Bible quiz championships. I memorized Ephesians. I asked the kids this year what they were memorizing. They had to memorize Jonah this year for the Bible quiz. I would not want to spend a year memorizing the book of Jonah. I'm just being honest. That would be, like, not my favorite thing to memorize. So... So Eleazar had to go, and he prayed. He said, Lord, grant me success. He took the camels to the kinfolks, and he got down there, and he said, grant me success. If I find a girl who's willing to, says to me, please let your, I say, please let my jar, please let down your jar so I may drink. And she says, by all means, and I'll water your camels. He'll say, that's how I'll know that I got the right girl. And so that's what happens. He said, would you by any chance be able to let your jar down and give me a drink of water? And she said, I'll, I'll give you water, and I'll water your camels. That's an industrious girl, right? She's not afraid of hard work. Love a girl like that. So that's what happened. And she said, oh, I'm Bethel's daughter, Laban's sister. I'm sure we have room for you and your camels. So she's hospitable and hardworking. Those are good things to look for, right? So the Eliezer was very happy. He believed that God was with him in his quest but he wasn't 100% sure when he started out that God was going to be able to lead him. But God was able to lead him because, you know what, it's in God's best interest to lead you. God has no desire to withhold his will from you. He's not hiding it. He's not in a bad mood. He's not PMS. He's not menopausal. He's not depressed. He really wants to, to enfranchise you. He really wants to lead you. He wants to disclose his will. You know, who said what Daniel said of, of the, the, dream, the writing on the wall? He said, I don't know what the writing means, but my God is the revealer of secrets. That's how he is. Joseph said about the dreams with Pharaoh, I don't know how to interpret dreams, but my God does. Because God is a disclosing God. He's not hiding. And I just feel like sometimes we get confused about the fact that, well, what if I don't even know what I want to do after I leave Elam? Join the club. You're not the first person who at 19, I don't really think it's a realistic thing to think that you've got your whole next 60 years set out for you because of an idea you had when you were 17. First I'm going to go to Elam, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to go to this country, and then I'm going to do this, and then this. Maybe you don't know. I don't think that's weird. For me, I heard about teaching English as a second language when I was probably 26. And I'm like, that is the coolest thing I ever heard in my whole life. You can get paid for that? They're like, yes, you can. And, and it was like being on the mission field and getting paid. I was, I, and, and my first job was these migrant farmers, these migrant farm workers that had, um, that, that picked apples up in Brockport. And I was like, I'd get in my car at night, I'd have this vinyl tablecloth to pave over all the Sheila that was on the table underneath whatever that was. And I would bring these lessons to these farm workers. And it was a really cool job, but it was sort of like being on the mission field. And uh, then I'd go home and they would pay me handsomely to teach these people English, which was my joy. So I'm here to tell you that God wants a good plan for you. He's in your tomorrows. God is love, good, and he's gracious, and he's loving. His character is not in question. He's not moody. He wants to disclose and reveal to you, and he also is the master of course correction. If you go on a wrong way, wrong path, I went to graduate school, but it didn't work out, so I came home, 
There is no, there's nothing wrong with that. I feel like now more than ever before, it's possible that people are afraid of failure. You know, kids who grow up in, in beautiful families, who maybe you had dance lessons or maybe you have straight teeth, and it's almost like my daughter, who had more than I have, is afraid of making mistakes. Where well, I made mistakes willy-nilly. It was no, no help for it. I was just finding my way along, right? I went to Robert's. I borrowed. I took a loan out. I took a student loan out, and I took the money, and I brought a car with it. I don't think you were supposed to do that. And then I had a people who were my friends teach me how to drive with that car because I didn't know how to drive. That's a little backwards. But God was blessing my endeavors. I was forest gumping my way along. And people, the body of Christ was generous to me. They were merciful to me with me, and they were helping me. So God has provision for you. It says in Colossians 3, 3 in the English Standard Version, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. You are in Christ. That means when the Father looks at you, he sees you in his Son. He adores you because the blood of Jesus has made you perfect. We're not perfect, but God sees us that way, and he is voting for us. It says in Romans 8:27 that he who searches the hearts and knows with the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God, the Holy Spirit is in you to teach you how to pray. So it's not a matter of us being all that bright. The Holy Spirit is in us. He's helping us. He's voting for us. He's leading us. He's comforting us. That's really good news. It's not a matter of what kind of family I'm from or whether I went to private schools. The Holy Spirit is voting for me. Jesus is interceding for me. I'm found in Christ. That's all win. That's a win for us. Romans 8.34 says Jesus is, seated at, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and he's interceding for us. The whole Godhead is inviting you to come into a cool kingdom future. And I just want you to believe that God has good for you. I read this morning in Galatians 3.2 in the Passion Translation, the Holy Spirit is not a reward for good behavior. Wow. Wow, the Holy Spirit is not a matter of me knowing how to get up at 5.30 and pray in tongues for 15 minutes, and then I read, and then I intercede, and then I pray for countries. That's, those are good things. But that's not how you guarantee that God loves you. God loves you, he's provisioned you, and the Holy Spirit is, is guaranteed to help you mature. It says, um, you know, it's not a matter of how smart you are or how much CrossFit you do, how, whether you eat vegan or keto, it's not a matter of whether you know the technology or whether you come from an elegant, connected family. All those things are not what bring godliness to your life. The Holy Spirit, has, has you are seated with Christ, and it's like roots. And the tree grows up, and, and that's your, your, who you are in God. And then the branches are formed, and the fruit is the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, gentleness, self-control. The gifts of the Spirit manifest themselves in your life. As you're in God, those things are your portion. But it's not a matter of, I know we can know this, but I just feel like you gotta, you got to need a refresher on the fact that God is guaranteed to be your guide. God is in your tomorrow. God is, uh, when I was here, part of the time I was here, I, when I went to Robert's, people were like, oh, where do your parents live? I'm like, at that time, my dad was in the VA hospital detox ward. We didn't have a, a beautiful little cottage on Lake Ontario like all the girls that I was on the floor with me who had, I, I just had to get over the fact that I didn't have that kind of provision in my family background. But God had provision for me. And God, uh, the word, the Psalms say, though your mother and father forsake you, I will not forsake you. So here's a question. What is it that robs our confidence? And I think one of the things that robs our confidence is, is even though I, I love pop culture, I'm not against pop culture, 
I think it's possible that you can accidentally have your worldview formed by the Game of Thrones. God is not in that story. God's in your story. God's not in Grey's Anatomy. God's in your story. It's like you can have a favorite show and you can watch it and that's okay. But you got to remember that it's not your story. God's in your story. God's not in The Office. I like The Office, but the, the, the Holy Spirit never shows up. They don't ever huddle up and say, okay, we're going to lay hands on, on, on him now. We're going to pray for him. That doesn't ever happen. But in your life, it can happen. You can say, you, you know, I work at a public high school. A woman came in to me. She goes, my son didn't go to rehab. He's supposed to go to counseling. I said, let's pray. Let's pray right now that he gets a vision for a better future. She said, do you think God could do that? I said, he, could, he can shake him wherever he is. I believe it. If he, this woman is talking to me about her problem, the only thing I've got to give her is prayer. So I said, here, let's go find a closet. She comes to me later on. She goes, he went. He said he woke up. He didn't know how he woke up, but he woke up and he went to counseling. I'm like, it was the Lord. She goes, I think it might have been the Lord. I'm like, that's what it was. You know, God is in our reality. God is in. The Holy Spirit is in you to bring healing. Some guy up at the Hamlin Beach, and he's limping. I'm like, what's going on? He goes, my, my hip is messed up. I'm like, well, can I pray for you? He goes, well, the Lord would just tell me to take Advil. That's what I really need. I said, yeah, but the guy looked like an astronaut. He looked like a, a really um, accomplished man. He wasn't, like, impoverished so that I would be comfortable praying for him. It's like this guy probably owns a bank. I said, you know what? You'd have to be honest enough to tell yourself if the Lord heals you after I pray for you that it was God. Could you do that? Because I think he wants to heal you, but you'd have to say it was the Lord. He said, okay, he said. And so I'm prayed for him. I'm like, Lord, this is on you. You better show up. But I felt like the Lord loved this man enough. He probably has an elegant house and 15 cars. But it's like he needs love too, and he was in pain. So I believe the Lord wants to use us. He wants to uh, empower us, even though, uh, you know, you listen to Adele sing, and it's so depressing. And you're like, oh, no, I think I'm depressed. It's like put, put the psalm and the hymn and the spiritual song in so that you walk around believing that God is for you. And I just that you won't be robbed by the culture that says you're an orphan and you're abandoned. And you watch TV and there always it shows up somebody dies in the first scene every time. And then, you know, they never there's never revival in like 15 minutes into Hawaii Five O. There's just a lot of blood. And then they have a beer at the end. It's like you could think that that's your portion, that the best you can do is be on a beach with a friend and that's the end of the show. That's not the end of the show. The end of the show is that God leads you progressively into more revelation about who he is and what he wants to do in your life and to give you cool ideas. Like, like the Tom's shoes is these cotton shoes that this guy got this idea that if you buy a pair, then he'll give a pair of shoes to people who are barefoot. That's like, that, that's a crazy idea. But God was in it. Do you know that same guy? I read his book. It's called Do Something That Matters. His previous idea was driving school online. That's not a good idea. That's a dumb idea. You can't learn how to drive by it. But you know what? He had ideas, and he, his parents endorsed his ideas. They're people of faith. God wants to give you cool ideas so that you can go and do cool things in the earth. He wants you to give cool ideas so that you can go and do cool. Um, when I was at Elam, can you show the pictures of when I was at Elam? I was, I was doing the best I could, but I went on a, a missions trip in my senior year to Mexico. And that's, that's the main building, and I'm part of, I don't think it was a photo shoot for some, from a yearbook cover. There we are in our uniforms. That's me in the front of the line there. We were supposed to wear pantyhose. I didn't have the money for pantyhose, so I wore boots. Could you show the rest of these pictures, please? This is me. I was on a missions trip uh, in Morelia, down where John and Marla Speaker lived, and Andres, 
Back in those days, there were like no phones and no roads, and Elam sent me down there for a couple months. And um, the funny thing was, is I maintained my relationship with them. When I got married, we went down and, and took over their church for a little while. Where they went on a furlough. And then my son, when he was an Elam student, he went down and spent time with them. And then uh, we, I was back there recently. And uh, when they come to town, they, they come to have dinner with us. And those are cool relationships that have, those are my parents who came miraculously to my graduation from, from Elam. And, and the Lord has blessed me. The Lord has led me. The Lord has helped me. The Lord is not in the dystopian story. The, the Lord is in your story. And he wants to give you a future and a hope. And he wants you to believe that he has uh, good plans for you. And, and he has good kingdom work for you to do. He wants you to, uh, to, to figure out hard things. He wants to give you answers. And I believe that he wants to show you, even though uh, it's hard to remember that he's in your life. Your life is like a garden. And you know, you were born with some natural talents, and but your parents maybe put some things in. You know, as a mom, I lovingly tended the theology of my children. But as they get to be older, then it's on them. It's their responsibility to tend their hearts, to weed out offenses, to weed out woundedness, to weed out fear. And it becomes your responsibility to tend the garden of your heart, what you allow there, what you cultivate there, what you plant there. And I challenge you as, as young adults to believe that God has a cool plan for you tomorrow and to believe that he has a good spouse for you, a good future local church for you, that you commit yourself, you have the bravery to say, you know what, it's a not perfect place, but I'm going to plant myself here and I'm going to roll up my sleeves because God has good kingdom work for me to do. And that you would believe that he's in your tomorrow and that he's able to lead you and guide you. He has a beautiful spouse for you, a person of faith, and that you don't fall into a line of thinking that says, well, Biblical Christianity is not really in vogue, so I'll, I'll chop off all the parts that I don't really want to know about, and we'll just feed the poor. It won't work. It makes you so off-center if you don't keep the first things first, which is the lordship of Jesus Christ, the power of the resurrection, and the power of his blood. If those things are first, and you water those things with your time alone with God, and a time in prayer, and time in the word, you have a transformed mind, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you because he wants to use you to spread his kingdom in the earth. And it makes you a powerful person. It makes you look different. And you have the, the guts to say, you know what? I believe that God has a next season for me that he's going to ordain, and I'm excited about it. I just wanted to share that with you because I'm afraid that sometimes people don't uh, realize that uh, God is in your tomorrow. In Hebrews 10.36, it says, You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what's promised. And I just believe your life is a gift and that you are in the right place at the right time, and that God is equipping you and putting spiritual formation in your life so that he can add more layers, vocational layers, and direction, and passion, and gifting, and more talent, and that he is going to unleash you in the earth and make you a powerful agent for his kingdom, and, and you're going to belong in his family, and you're going to be bulletproof. And I'm just excited about your life, and I have a little... Um, People got a little paper when they came in. It had to do with uh, tips on scriptural bravery. If you'd like to fill that out, also happy to answer any questions you put on the back or prayer requests. I'd love to keep in contact with you and continue this conversation. And uh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed that Elam is, if you cut into me, one of my big layers is my Elam layer. And I just believe the Lord uh, formed my life in this, in this hill, and he redeemed me from uh, the futile ways of my forefathers. And I, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to people like Paul Johansson, who just, he fathered. He was a father to me. Still is really by, 
by, by his life watching him and being able to emulate the things that people did. Bob Sorge, he and I were teenagers together. His dad was my pastor, and I was 14, and he was 17, and we were in this crazy little maladjusted youth group. And then we came here, like droves of us from this little tiny church. There were like 12 people from a church of 200. We were Elamites from that Depew church. And uh, we're still friends. His, his wife, before she was married, was my, my friend in the dorm. And uh, for us to exchange dinners together and visit one another is my delight. I just think the people that you meet here are going to be a beautiful parts of your adult life. People you, and even might be people you're not close to right this minute. Later on, you're going to say, oh, we're both Elamites. And that's, that's really continued to be uh, the blessing of God in my life. People who are people of faith who want to do what Jesus is doing and what's God doing and how can I join him in the work of doing that thing. So I bless you in Jesus' name for your cool Elam season. Relish this season. Take the time that you have time now that you won't have later in life. Ten years from now, you're going to have to get up with a sleeping, with a sick baby. Right now, you have time to say, God, I want to be in your presence. I'm for you alone right now. And I'm dedicating this season to hearing your voice, learning how to hear your voice, and learning your word. Is that okay? Okay, feel free to fill, fill those forms out if you'd like to have continued uh, conversations. I, the book I wrote is in back here. It's all the things God ever taught me. It's about the substance of who God wants you to be, not just the frosting of the culture. Do you have the picture of my family up there that you could show? So, God, this is my family now. My husband, Carl, and I. My daughter, Grace, is in the middle. Lily, my son David, and next to David to the left of him is his bride, Kate, and Luther the dog. And I just want to tell you that the Lord is in your tomorrows. I didn't have faith for that when I was here. I was like ducking out a checkbook to find coffee or candy or something. I wasn't even mature enough to listen to. My son said to me, Mom, give them what you needed to hear when you were that age. I said, David, I don't know if I was mature enough to hear much of anything when I was 18. But the Lord knows that, and he has the ability. I was like the long shot. The Lord has the ability to grow you. He's sympathetic with your weakness, your humanity, and he's for you. And so am I. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the people in this room. I thank you for every family represented here. And I pray, Lord, that you would give people just the, the drive and the guts to know that you are in their tomorrows and that you're going to reveal secrets. You're going to provide divine encounters for direction divine opportunities, divine connections and relationships. I just pray increased anointing for this connectivity and synergy of the beautiful things that happen at Elam. And that even though people think, oh, it's just any given boring Wednesday with rain, no, it's not. It's a divine moment where the Holy Spirit can encounter you and teach you to grow, teach you to hear, and teach you to be effective in the earth so that you can go out and rock your world. In Jesus' name, amen.